Hey, good morning. How you doing today? Have to admit, there's part of me that wants to walk down a little closer since there's a lot of folks towards the back. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, Ken. Don't worry. I want to see how the sound goes here for a bit, right? We've had some of the interesting, at least our heads didn't pop when it was kind of screeching there for a bit. So um, it's good to be with you. I'm Rob. Um, and I know a lot of folks are away. Pastor Aaron, some of the staff are away this weekend. And so we're going to transition a little bit. Last weekend was the day of Pentecost. And so Howard shared and we kind of talked about the outpouring of the Spirit, which is a wonderful message. Today we're shifting for a few weeks into this listen theme. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the Old Testament. We're going to look and go back to a section from 1 Samuel, which actually gets to a very important part in the nation of Israel's history. And we're going to talk about Hannah, who is Samuel's mom, and her faith and her struggles, and then what came of Samuel. And then, as I like to do, uh, try to make some connections. To be honest, I'm not sure how you feel in dealing with the Old Testament. The Old Testament is one that it, it treats, it demonstrates who God is in a bit of a different way than the New Testament. And there's a key to that. And I, I think we, we lose something if we don't treat the Old Testament as it is, as it was given, as it was lived out, but yet then also still appreciate what, what the opportunity is for us today, if you will, on this side of Christ, on this side of the New Testament, on this side of faith. One God, no doubt. Different expressions and different ways to talk about how it fits. So it was probably good um, that we're going to focus on listening. Maybe we start with a word of prayer and ask the Lord to open our ears. So join me in a word of prayer. Father, we, um, we thank you for this day, uh, a holiday weekend um, here for many of us, and hopefully a time of rest and family, um, but thank you for letting us be here, and thank you for letting us already, Father, to be anointed by your Spirit, to come into your presence, to come together as your body. We pray that through this time together this morning that you would grant us your Spirit, open our ears. And help us to hear, Father. Hear from you first and foremost. And then to think about and to put them things into practice that we might take forward from this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I said, it's First Samuel is where we're going to start here. And this is a story going back. And we're, we're well, we're probably like 1100 B.C. I mean, we're, we're back a ways in the history of God's people. And a lot has happened already, and, and through the course of this year, we've been kind of going back and forth of Old Testament, New Testament, and so this is a pretty substantial period in the, in the place of God's people, the nation of Israel. So I'm just going to jump around because we're looking at kind of three chapters, if you will. But what we're going to see here is first we come into contact with, with Hannah. And if you want to go back and read this on your own, First Samuel chapters 1, 2, and 3, there's a bit of background in her family. But the situation is, is that Hannah is barren. She has not been able to conceive and have a child yet. And so Hannah, and we demonstrate, and you might hear and people talk about the faith of Hannah. Hannah, in a, in a great, deep, deep word, cries out to God for his grace and mercy. So reading from 1 Samuel chapter 1, we'll read a few verses here. So Hannah was in a deep, deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime, and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. Now, one of the things we have to understand here and look at is that 
she's making a vow, a promise, a promise to God. And this is something that is, is very delicate and, and, if you will, forever in the Old Testament in particular. There are times when God's people make promises to God, but more importantly, God makes promises to us. And in this case, and we can go ahead and advance some of the slides so these scriptures are on the, on the screen there. So we'll go ahead and move on forward for a few verses. Um, what happens is that, in fact, Hannah's cry is heard. And what God promises, or what she cries for, God delivers. So we're told later in chapter 1, And in due time she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel. For she said, I asked the Lord for him. So there we go. Now we're rolling forward. Come, we can catch up a little bit. There we go. So in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're getting this story that you have this barren woman, Hannah, who is crying out to the Lord in front of all the people and there in the temple, and God answers her prayer. And can, consistent with her vow, she then, after she takes the child and weans him, takes him to the temple at a very young age. We're told in verse 24, when the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. Now, I'm not sure if any of you have struggled with, with having a family. Um, my wife and I did not. We've known some people that have. And I can only imagine how deep, how deep that prayer is to conceive. And if that was a struggle and you do in fact conceive, could you imagine taking that child at three years of age about to the temple to turn this child over to someone else to raise him at that very, very young age. So I think, first of all, we have to admit that this is just a different kind of context. Not the struggle, but the outcome. It's a different kind of context from what we might anticipate today. That Hannah, in this amazing statement of faith and the promise she made to God, receives the answer to her prayer in just the way she wanted to, and then she carries on and she, she, gives, she gives Samuel to the priest at the temple. Now, when they have this sacrifice and they take there and they worship the Lord, there is um, a prayer that Hannah gives. It's, it's a beautiful prayer. I just want to read a couple of verses out of it. Again, I'd encourage you to go back. It's in chapter 2 and read through it at some point. But in her prayer, Hannah cries out, The childless woman now has seven children because she continued to conceive, and the woman with many children wastes away. The Lord gives both death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but raises others up. He will protect his faithful ones, but the wicked will disappear in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. This kind of language we hear from Hannah is, is not inconsistent with the Old Testament. This, this conversation of, of how the Lord physically raises people up and cares for them, and, and those that struggle or fight against them are, are cast away and destroyed. And this confession for Hannah, and imagine how personal it would be that the Lord gives life, and the Lord also delivers death. Now, that might be pretty direct for us to hear today, but it's a confession, if you will, that there is nothing in all of creation that happens apart from the will of God. That's how we'd maybe talk about it. It's a little offensive maybe to talk about the Lord actually allowing death or causing death to happen. I, I'm not going to answer those difficult questions for us today. But this language, this prayer from Hannah is one that is confessing everything is of the Lord's. 
Now Samuel will continue to grow and be at the, at the temple there, and he'll be working with a priest by the name of Eli. Eli was an older priest that had been in the temple for many years. And so keep in mind here, we're in this, in this history of God's people where there has not been a king yet, okay? So we still have, if you will, the, the judges, the, the priests. You go back to, to, to Moses and, and Aaron and, and how that all started from the nation of Israel through Exodus, and we're carrying on through here. And so, so Eli has been, if you will, the head priest at the, at the temple, and Samuel comes at a young age. And, and again, there's a lot to be talking about here with regards to what Eli, what was becoming of his life, and his children, who by birth were in the temple serving the Lord as well. They were wicked. Let me just cut to the chase. They were wicked, and God condemned them, ultimately. But Samuel grows up in a way that we had not seen. That is in the Testament, the Old Testament, that we had not seen for a while. Because God spoke through his judges, through his priests, through his prophets in a way that we don't experience today. So what's happening now is that Samuel is slowly growing up. Eli hasn't heard from the Lord in quite a while. The Lord's been, in fact, fairly quiet. So Samuel's in the temple, and what's happening is that this is from chapter 3. So Eli, who was almost blind, had gone to bed, and, and there was a lamp there, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly, the Lord called out, Samuel, yes? Samuel replied, what is it? He got up and ran into Eli. Here I am, did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time. And once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go lie down again, and if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. And the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. This is something that hadn't happened in Israel for some period of time. In fact, here you have Samuel as a young boy. He probably didn't even know that this is the way it was going, obviously. He hadn't experienced this, as we're told. But yet the Lord, and this is the way the Lord works in the Old Testament, is speaking and calling out to Samuel directly. And finally, Eli realizes what's going on and tells Samuel, okay, just, just be where you are. It's not me calling, it's the Lord. So you need to listen to him, not me. And there's more to the story here, but ultimately what we're told is that as Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him. And everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. And all Israel, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and gave messages to Samuel there at the tabernacle. And Samuel's words went out to all the people of Israel. See, this is the nature of how things worked in the Old Testament, especially up to this period of time, is that God spoke in very specific ways and worked in very specific ways. And here we have the story of, of Hannah who, who is crying out to the Lord, 
and hoping that he's listening and gets a response. And she maintains and keeps her vow in a way that she takes Samuel ultimately to the temple. And then the one who's really not expecting it, that is Samuel, the Lord calls to Samuel. And not just calls to speak to him, but in in fact calls him into service. Calls him into a presence of God in a way that he becomes the authoritative voice for Israel. That he is the one that is literally the spokesperson, the mouthpiece for God among God's people. And not just among God's people, but among the nations around them as well. And so we have a wonderful connection here of how God worked there in the Old Testament. Now, how about today, right? Um, I wish that the Lord would speak that clearly in ways that I could hear, right? So I want us to take that story from Samuel in the Old Testament and think about it, but, but I'm going to share a bit more about, um, we'll see if this can happen, okay, right? If it gets too loud, we'll see what happens. Um, I want to share a bit more about, about me and about my wife, Carrie, not because there's something here more holy or more devoted about what we've done in our past, but, but many of you don't know our story as much, and the struggle of having God speak in a way that I could hear and discern, that we could hear and discern, has been a very real challenge for us in the past. So let me just share a little bit of the background, and we can talk about how these things um, come to pass, right? So, sorry for you in the front row that actually sat close. You'll be, you know, listening and can't see me. Um, the, so, we're West Coast kids. Some of you have heard us say that before. I grew up in California. Um, and I was active, and Carrie and I really weren't connected to the church much until we had kids. We reconnected a bit, and then we moved for work, and we were in our early 30s, and uh, raising kids and active, and we got plugged into St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Tracy, California. And it was an amazing uh, blessing for us in so many ways. Lots of young families, and we just had a great time. And in that situation, in that setting, there was a lady, because we had a school that was starting, that, that one day out of blue that says, Rob, when are you going to go be a pastor? And um, I was like, what, what does that mean? <laughs> uh, I went into worship that day, and I asked my wife, I said, you're not going to believe what Myra said. She asked when I was going to go be a pastor. Do you see me as a pastor? And Carrie said, no way. Are you kidding? (laughs) And Carrie quickly said, would you see me as a pastor's wife? I said, not a chance. (laughs) (laughs) But it's this little question that was asked that kind of created this situation of us. Like, what does this mean? I mean, I'm not sure in this room how many of us have a background. See, we didn't grow up in the Lutheran Church, and Oikos is, is connected to the Lutheran Church. Um, The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I didn't know what a synod was. I mean, never been to traditional worship. I mean, there's a whole lot of things that that it's a kind of a comical story, to be fair. Um, But it raised a question. And what we started to do is we started to think about what does this mean? Because I had a career, we had kids, and and a great job, and a great house, and blah, blah, blah. Um, Ultimately, um, and I'm going to talk about how this came to pass a bit later, ultimately, we left my career in California, went to seminary in St. Louis, spent three years in seminary, went to Wisconsin, served a church full-time up there for four years, and came to another situation where I, as a called, ordained minister in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, was serving a congregation, and we were confronted with 
through a variety of circumstances, a very healthy ministry, um, the consideration to leave and go back to California. And the question at that point me meant that I was going to resign my call. Now, we're getting into kind of some of the Lutheran church stuff here, I get, because we don't talk about calls, etc. But these are the things that for our lives are very challenging. And how do we or what do we do in the case of, of making that decision? That is to say to resign my call. You don't, folks, you don't do that, okay? Let me just be clear. You don't do that unless there's some problem going on. Again, Lord, what's the answer? What do we do? It wasn't because what, we never left the business world because we didn't like it. We never left the church. We don't like it. I mean, love the church. Love, love it all. But, but confronted in, in, in two different times, different eras, if you will, for us, different situations, confronted with what is the Lord saying what is the right answer? What do we do? Because we are praying diligently. Help us be faithful, Lord. Give us the billboard. I want the sign that says, Rob, do this. I never got it. <laughs> we never got it. Samuel didn't show up at my house at the front door and tell me what to do. No one said, Rob, the Lord told me to tell you to go or to stay. So it raises the question, what's the difference? I mean, what's the difference of, of listening then, that is, during that Old Testament time, what's the difference of listening now? I think there is one. I think listening then, it was a much controlled setting, right? We were told in the narrative that Samuel was sleeping by the Ark of the Covenant, I mean, so think about this in, in the history of God's people. The presence of the Lord was physical. It was there. There was an ark, right? And this, this was it. It was in the tent, and it was, it was where God's people were. And, and, and the Levites, the, the, the priests, they're the ones that took care of it. And there was a, a certain ritual, and the way that you, you dealt with people's sins across the nation was, was specified. It was controlled. Samuel was, as we are told, identified as a spokesman on behalf of the Lord. And what he said was proven to be true, and it went out across the nations, the tribes, the nations of Israel, the nation of Israel among the nations of the world. It was a controlled process. In fact, that's what the Old Testament really is, is really good about, is that you see the, the, the workings of God being demonstrated and worked out and over and over again through the history of God's people. And in Samuel in particular, you might know a king that he comes, actually a couple, the first two in Israel, Saul to start, and then King David. Samuel gets to anoint King David before he dies. And oh, that begins quite a, a story in, in Israel's history. So the Old Testament, it's fairly controlled from the standpoint of how the Word of God goes forth, how His working of salvation, of, of making people new, of faith being lived out, how that happens, the places you go to, to hear and to study and, and to pray and to receive the gifts and have your, your sins forgiven. It's very, it's, it's specified, it's, it's controlled. And the authors of the Old Testament do a great job of telling us where the Spirit of God is and is not right? Same God, just different expressions of it. 
Well, what about today? What does listening now mean? Well, I'm going to define it more as listening now is about community. Okay? And what, what I mean by this, this listening now is about community is that something substantially different changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Something substantially different changed from before Jesus of Nazareth being born, walking this earth, dying and resurrecting, and after Jesus, the Christ, was revealed. Something substantially changed before the day of Pentecost and after the day of Pentecost. And what was that? Was anybody here last week? Yeah, yeah. What was it? The Spirit. The paraclete. The counselor. The helper. The Spirit of God came to rest and to be among and in and reside in God's people. No longer is it, and this is a very stark comparison, constrained, if you will, to the Ark of the Covenant and the Tent of Meeting and where the, the priests are to be shared among the people. It now resides in every believer. That is, the presence of God is shared in a way that has never been seen before. And so what, what ends up happening, and this is the struggle that we see in Acts, is that the church, the new church, the church of Christ, the same church as the Old Testament, but the new expression, the fulfillment of Christ and the Savior, the Messiah coming, starts to go forward, and you have to figure out, is this of the church or not of the church? And that's what the book of Acts is all about. That's what Paul's letters in the New Testament are about. What does it mean to be the church of the New Testament, the church of Christ, the church of the resurrection, the church of the way? It's a different situation than it was before. The Old Testament and what, what, what Hannah and, and, and Samuel's expression were of God was fairly controlled. The New Testament today is about community. It's about, well, what Pentecost brings is it shares one spirit and one body. And that one body is Christ, Jesus the Christ, and that one spirit is the Holy Spirit which goes in. And there's a unity that exists among God's people on earth that did not exist before. No longer is it defined by a nation, that being Israel. No longer is it defined by one language, one history. It is across languages, across nations, across races, across everything. And it just goes out into the world in a way that the spirit does what the spirit does. And God does what he wants to do. And you're active and you're engaged and you're rolling and the spirit works and, and we cling together. And we're defined by, by who we are. And so this, this change, this, this transition, this, this situation of having the one body, it's, it's a whole new expression. Now, last week, um, the day of Pentecost, we talked about this and, and, and prophecy and how do we hear these things. I think that one of the things we need to ask ourselves in this place today is, is how are you listening today? I mean, I mean, how are you thinking about what the Lord has to say in your life? It's easy, especially as Americans um, to, to view this in a very independent sort of way. 
right? That, okay, this is what the Lord told me to do or not. And um, I can be off and praise God for being here. I can be off on my own with the Bible, and, and that's the full expression of faith. There, there's something disconnected about that. It's not to say that faith can't exist there, but it's about community, one body, one spirit that we've been called into to live in this thing together, to live in this thing together and, and to share and struggle and confront and prophesy and encourage and pray and share the gifts of the Lord together. That's the definition of what we are in this church, the New Testament, the church of today, of Christ. So, so this gets back to um, how did Karen and I go about this stuff, right? Uh, because I didn't know. I had a lot of questions. We had a lot of questions. And what we started to do is we, well, we prayed a lot together. We called for the Lord to reveal himself to us. We cried out for him to tell us what to do. And the way he answered is he gave us a unity about whatever the doors would open, we would walk through them. We spent a lot of time talking to people close to us in the church, in our families, and our friends about are we absolutely crazy to leave our career in California where all the family is and run off to this place in the Midwest? I don't know where Missouri is. Do we go do this? And what was interesting is that and we come from parents of faith um, what was interesting is the people in the church, at our family there at St. Paul's, the people in the church were very encouraging, extremely encouraging. Many of our friends and faith were encouraging. Both sets of our parents thought we were absolutely crazy, completely crazy. See, Carrie and I have the first two grandkids on both sides of our family, um, and I think, just to be fair, our parents couldn't understand what we were talking about. See, they couldn't understand why we do something that was different than what kind of the definition of success is in, in this world, in America. Um, they ultimately came around and supported us, and we made that decision to go. And it was our kids at the time were seven and nine, and oh my gosh, it was a great time. Um, a lot of learning and just all kinds of great stuff. Uh, but we had the heart about going into the adventure together and, and just we'll see what was going to happen. And we knew that it didn't take much to be happy with from a nice big house and pool to a 700 square foot apartment in, in the woods on, in St. Louis, which is married housing. And it was, it was a great time. You know, you find you don't need that much. And we, we spent time from there and we went through seminary and like I said, ended up in Wisconsin serving in church full time. And, and we talked to, how, let me ask you a question. How many of us have been in the past uh, members of a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod congregation? Raise your hands. Okay. I only ask that question because I'm using this theological stuff about the call, etc. And, and I don't want to, I don't want to escape or, or let the message pass you by. It's not like somehow it's better or worse. It's just I want to know what we're dealing with here. Is is that in the church, the Missouri Synod Church, we talk about the call comes through God's people, right? 
So we, here we vote. We've, we've called Pastor Aaron, and he's, he's the pastor of Oikos. And, and the, if you will, the Spirit of God, the Lord worked through the people of Oikos to call Pastor Aaron. And Aaron said, yes, I want to be your pastor. He responded to that call. So imagine if Pastor Aaron said, uh, when he comes back next weekend, you know what, folks? I know what you thought God told me through you, but that's not what the Lord's saying, actually. And uh, Sarah and I, I'm resigning my call, and we're going to go somewhere else. The way it typically works is that another congregation would extend Pastor Aaron a call, maybe somewhere up in Missouri where Sarah's family's from, right? And so then Pastor Aaron has to decide, ooh, do I, do I stay at Oikos? Do I go to this other congregation that also wants me? God's people have told me that I should come serve them there. And that's the way it works in the church. That's how we kind of move and pastors move among the church. Well, imagine if, if Pastor Aaron just said, nope, sorry, I'm out of here. And that's a, that's a tough thing. And so that was the next situation that we went through, this, this situation for Carrie and I. But how do we, what's the answer, Lord? Imagine that one when we're praying and we're talking with folks and, and there was two other full-time pastors serving with us together and, and telling them about it. We, we really think we're being called back to California. And there wasn't a call that was presenting itself within the church. And so considering or resigning my call. Again, how many people would say, I, I'm pretty sure, Rob, that's not the Lord's will for your life. <laughs> right? But we spent time in the community. We spent time in prayer again, trying to figure out what do we do? At this point, our kids are teenagers and they're in high school. And it, it's, you know, how do you do this in the context of my call as a pastor? Okay, great. But you know what? I'm a husband and I'm a father. And this is the kind of stuff we don't talk about as much. This is the kind of stuff we don't talk about in, in the seminary, number one, and then I think in the church sometimes to actually talk about how we live this stuff out. Ultimately, we resigned the call and moved to California, and lo and behold, the Lord brought me back to the employer that I was at before I went to seminary after being away for seven years. That employer then in California is the one that brought me to Houston, and Carrie and I are here for my work, and uh, that's what brought us ultimately we met Pastor Aaron and brought us to Oikos. And so I share this because this is our history in a way that has brought us all the way to May, whatever, 20-something, 2018, at this very place here today to be with you, the people of God, to talk about what faith is and the struggles we have. I'm not sharing this because of somehow what we have done is a better example than anybody else. To be fair, it's probably a worse example because I can tell you about all the struggles along the way. I just share because I think we all have different challenges we face in life and trying to find out what is God's plan for us. And today in this place, on this side of the day of Pentecost, it is defined by the people of God coming together. It is defined by, and I hope that you're hearing this, it's defined by us being in the struggles together of having conversation and talking and praying with one another and engaging one another and, and talking about what is going on in my life. And so I have a couple questions for you today. First of all, are you suffering? Are you suffering? Are you suffering physically? Is your body hurt? Have you been sick? Are you still dealing with those, those headaches? Are you dealing with an addiction? 
Is there someone in your family that's dealing with these things? I want you to hear that God saves. God saves. Maybe not in the way that we want him to, but God saves. He absolutely saves. He demonstrated this in Christ. He demonstrates it every day. It's hard to see today. It's hard to see. I'll be honest about it. Right? I mean, the struggle is today is that this idea that God is a loving God and he saves. You look around in the world. I mean, watch the news for half an hour, for God's sake. And God will... Allows things to happen. Satan still has his day. There's no good answer for it. There is no good answer for it. But the promise is, and it's real, that God saves. The next question I have for you is, are you still? Are you still? Which is a perfect time when the kids are coming in. (laughs) But are you still? I mean, do you stop at some point in the day, at some point in the day to listen to the Lord? Are you stopping at some point during the day to listen to your spouse? Are you stopping to listen to a friend? Do you have a brother or sister in the church? Are you, are you still? Are you still? I ask the question because God speaks. He absolutely speaks. Maybe not in the way that he called out to Samuel in, when he was sleeping near the Ark of the Covenant, but God speaks. And we know this today by this community. This is defined by the Spirit that this is not, this is Rob talking for sure, but we are connecting in a way because the Spirit of God is present. The Spirit of God is that which is uniting us in this conversation. The Spirit of God is one which is, which is letting you sit there and admit the struggles that you're facing, what, what's happening in your suffering. The Spirit of God, I pray, is letting you sit and, and consider, am I still or am I not listening to the Lord, or am I not praying? And I'll be the first one to admit, folks, I get busy, very busy, because I allow myself to do that. And unfortunately, I don't take the time personally to live out a really good devotion life. I don't. It's one thing I've struggled for a long time. I struggle with being still. I struggle with sitting, praying, and let the Lord inform me through his spirit, through intuition, through maybe not an audible voice. Maybe so. I don't know how the Lord works. But I can tell you, if the Lord tells me something, I'm not going to run off and do it without confirming with others, right? That's how we work in this community defined in the New Testament. The spirit is present, and we spend time hearing and listening and talking. You know, this is, to go back to Carrie and I, our story, the, the, the seeds that were planted that caused us to do things weren't because I woke up someday and said, I want to go be a pastor. I didn't know what that meant. And when someone else introduces that because I was having a conversation and listening because her son happened to be a chaplain over in the Middle East at the time, it was an input in my life that I did not expect, did not anticipate. I had no idea the consequences that Sunday morning in Tracy, California so many years ago. But it prompted me to start asking questions and confirming and praying and discussing and and, and I suspect that today, whether it's a matter of, of, of suffering or being still, whatever your struggle is, I bet there's probably very real decisions you're trying to answer in your life as well. Maybe it's a career change. Maybe it's a move. Maybe, it's, maybe you're dating. Maybe you're dealing with your children. I don't know what it is, but I know that there is content of your life 
that's, well, tomorrow's a holiday, but, but content of your life that this week is going to show up. Maybe even this afternoon when you, you hear from your parents or your children, they're, they're being faced with some decision. So this isn't just so, so simple as like the really big decisions in life. Those are easy to make as examples of trying to make the right decision. But what about that neighbor? What about that job? What about that financial decision you're making? Those things are just as important in God's eyes because they are part of your life and you are his child. So I, I want us to think about, and as we go forward, there's some very practical ways that things come out. And, and I want us to think about these decisions that you can look around your life and when you're trying to make a decision, seek counsel. Talk to someone. Maybe somebody here, maybe someone else you know that has faith because the Spirit of the Lord can work through that. Spend time in prayer. Just be still and tell the Lord what's on your heart. Be engaged in a way that maybe you haven't before. And listen to those things. See, I, I trust, as, as Hannah did, that the Lord gives and the Lord takes. And that can be very, very troubling if we look at the challenges that are in life, the death and disease and destruction where sin has its way. That can be very challenging to admit that the Lord is in control of everything. And I pray that you don't stop there. I pray that you don't stop with the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Amen. Nothing happens apart from the will of God. But the will of God, which has been revealed for you and for all of creation, was upon the cross. That is the message where we can stop full end and say, what does God think about me? What does God think about the situation which is happening? What does God think about the, the death, the shootings, whatever it is? He wants to save the world. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into a world that would absolutely reject and kill him so that salvation might come and life new might be given, that, that the Spirit, the day of Pentecost would come and that we would have an experience, a community of faith that we can sit in this struggle called life and the suffering and, and say, we're in this together. We're in this together and be reminded that God is for us, he's not against us, that Christ is here for us, he's not against us. When life shows up things that we don't know what the answer is, we can sit with the Lord and be reminded that he is our Savior. I think Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 captured this very well. If I can find it here. <laughs> Paul said, we are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. See, at every turn, at every turn, know that you are the Lord's. Know that no matter what comes, whether it's easy or difficult, whether it's disease and death, or it's exactly what you're asking for, you are the Lord's. In this place, in this time, we are defined in a new way by Christ. We are on this side of the day of Pentecost, and the Spirit resides in us. And so I pray that as we go forward as God's people, not just here at Oikos, but in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, our communities, that we listen, we listen to the Lord, and we listen for opportunities to share what His love is. 
I pray that today that, that you've had an occasion to just maybe think about it a little bit differently. Maybe the Lord's put, maybe put someone on your mind that is struggling that you can maybe spend some time with and pray with them. Maybe the Lord's put someone on your mind that, that you've got a struggling relationship with and you can go to them first and say, you know what, I've been a jerk. You might want to go back and say, you're wrong, but, but just try this. Just say, you know what, I've been selfish and see how that goes. I pray that the Lord puts things on your mind and you come out of this place today with that, with that spirit anew, that spirit of God encouraging you to go out and share the word of God. Tell you what, as we wrap this up, um, we're going to continue to worship, but why don't you join me in a word of prayer one more time. Gracious Father, we thank you that in the Old Testament, we have an example of how your story, your salvation story lived out in that place at that time. We thank you, Father, that in the New Testament, we have that exact same story being lived out and expressed in the fullness of Christ. And Father, we thank you that in this time, we can be here together as your people. We thank you, Father, for the gift of faith. We thank you, Father, for the gift of one body, that is Christ. We thank you, Father, for the gift of one spirit. We pray that you would, unite, you would unite us together as your people, not just here at Oikos, but, Father, your church, your faithful, your believers, so that we can take the word forth, the word that is saving according to Christ, saving and just being present with people. Father, help us to listen to you first and foremost, but also to listen to others. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take a time here to listen to one of these stories, to listen to the story about how God is active in, in somebody's life and in this community. So I invite you to listen along here.